The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor of the magazine. This episode features my conversation with Roxana Isayu, Director of ESG and Real Estate at Gresby, a leading sustainability benchmark for real estate and infrastructure investments across the globe. Based in Amsterdam, she details differences in environmental, social, and corporate governance initiatives in Europe and North America. Roxana also discusses the role of ESG and our struggle against the COVID-19 pandemic. Roxana, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, we're going to dive into the role ESG will play in commercial real estate's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'd like to start by discussing the growth of ESG since the term was first coined in 2005. It's safe to say Europe is leading the charge in terms of ESG initiatives, but with many of our listeners based in North America, Roxana, can you give us a brief history of ESG in Europe? and where we stand today. Yes, absolutely. Um, Hi, Nick, and uh, hello, everyone. Um, I would say that ESG is a relatively new term and new terminology. It's definitely not uh, a new concept. I think... um, Conceptually speaking, uh, we've, we as a, as an industry and as a society altogether, we've always been concerned with issues of efficiency and resilience and risk mm-hmm. and uh, reducing costs and maximizing profit, which is ultimately what ESG is all about. Except that we're not really just taking the view of financial costs and uh, profits from a, from a very specific business perspective, but we're looking at the bigger impact of uh, how uh, of our businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, effectively, we're evaluating the impact from an environmental, social, and governance perspective of, um, of uh, the real estate portfolios and funds that we're looking at, as well as the infrastructure funds and projects that we're looking at. And in the same way, uh, we can expand this uh, terminology and expand this concept to any other asset class and everything. Um, in a way, everything that we do has a has an uh, ESG impact in the same way that everything that we do could potentially have a financial impact. And looking at Europe being uh, a bit ahead of North America, um, what obstacles did you see to adoption in Europe and, and how did the commercial real estate industry deal with them and hopefully eventually overcome them? I will say that Europe, and I will speak primarily from the perspective of real estate here, um, one of the big differences uh, in between the European market and the North American market is the fact that the building stock in Europe is much older. Um, if you if you think of um, uh, a lot of countries, uh, think of London, think of Paris, think of uh, Rome, think of uh, um, Amsterdam. These are um, cities with uh, a long history and a lot of uh, historical buildings that are in pristine condition still. Um, and um, generally speaking, the managers uh, and the, the real estate owners and the, the real estate fund managers in Europe have had have had to deal with issues of business continuity and issues of uh, um, keeping their assets in, in good shape and uh, keeping them resilient for a longer time than I suppose the managers in the US have. Um, 
I, I wouldn't say there are specific challenges that the North American market has compared to other regions. Um, I think um, um, the real estate uh, market in, in general shares a set of challenges and uh, shares a set of opportunities. And uh, there are regional differences uh, when you start uh, peeling the onion in, in this region. But um, Yeah, that, that's interesting. That's kind of a uh, somewhat cultural in that Europe was just seemed more... Uh, prime to to accept ESG initiatives and, and just kind of accept it into their business practices, and I suppose forced uh, into uh, taking a more longer term uh, approach and uh, re reviewing the building stock a um, um, longer time ago. Mm-hmm. And if there weren't specific obstacles in in adoption, um, what would you say are keys to kind of starting that conversation with people who have such assets to emphasize that ESG initiatives are important? So. In Europe, uh, the investor community and the institutional investor community is the one that has largely driven um, advancements in this uh, spectrum. Um, large pension funds, and in fact, GRESP as an initiative was set up at the initiative of three of the, uh, uh, some of the largest pension funds in Europe. It was um, APG, PGGM, and USS. Um, so three institutional investors with a very long-term investment um, horizon um, that effectively looked at their portfolios and um, observed the need of a standardized way of evaluating the non-financial performance of their investments on top of the financial performance com- uh, comparisons. Um, and so the in- uh, institutional investor community drove uh, the ESG agenda a lot in Europe. And uh, this is why we've seen these advancements, I think, uh, uh, in a much more specific uh, way in Europe than in North America. Whereas what we generally see in in, um, in the US and in the countries in, of North America is that um, the market forces have had a similar impact and are starting to have a similar impact there uh, as the investor community has had in Europe. So uh, tenants and uh, uh, the pure competition in the commercial space um, has uh, has, uh, has had a very positive influence on um, how uh, assets are being operated and how um, ESG advancements are being uh, incorporated into the assets. And the ESG is obviously involves or requires a longer term perspective. Um, so having North American property owners, you know, start to, to look farther ahead seems to, to help adoption. Yes, absolutely. Uh, when we talk about ESG performance and uh, sustainable assets generally, I think we can use these terms interchangeably. Um, we're not thinking of um, sustainability tomorrow. Sustainability as a concept has a long-term horizon. So you think, how can I make my assets and uh, my buildings um, uh, more appealing and uh, uh, more resilient, not uh, tomorrow or next week and in one year, because uh, this is the time horizon that I can predict in many other ways as well. But how can I make sure that th- uh, these assets are still relevant and are still competitive in the market in five years or in uh, 10 years from now? Um, how will the demographic changes affect uh, the need for uh, for the type of product I'm offering? Um, how uh, will uh, the competition evolve so that my products are still competitive? and what are the uh, uh, the returns on those. And um, interestingly enough, um, I think 
because I mentioned demographics, uh, real estate um, as an asset class is a, it's a fairly stable and slowly developing uh, market, a slowly developing asset class. It's not as uh, volatile or as, uh, I dare to say, uh, firstly, it, it, it doesn't develop as a, such an exciting pace as equities, for example, or other stocks. Um, but uh, we do see the emergence of uh, niche property types, particularly in the fields of uh, or in the sectors of healthcare and residential, um, that emerge out of the need, um, specific needs of different uh, categories of the population. Gotcha. And yeah, you mentioned the the different market sectors. Um, are certain sectors more willing to adapt to environmental and sustainability best practices and others is, is office more friendly than multifamily or, or you know how do the different sectors stack up there are definitely differences um in um in uh in the way that certain asset classes uh, react to this new stimuli from from the industry um and um particularly when we think of uh, the more competitive sectors with a higher tenant turnover, uh, like office, like uh, retail, um, like um, um, certain types of residential and certain types of um, uh, healthcare or hospitality. Um, these are asset classes that have uh, that, that see an, an immediate need to cater to, to the tenants and stay competitive um, uh, for in, in the tenant market. Um, Whereas um, other asset classes like residential or industrial with uh, a longer lease structure that um, have the um, that have the security of longer leases and uh, uh, working with tenants in a slightly different way, um, first of all, have less control over how the uh, assets evolve from one year to the other, um, have less control over uh, the measures that are implemented within the building. You have to work a lot with the tenants. You have to really uh, listen to the tenants and take into account a lot their uh, demands or their uh, requirements. Um, so I would say, um, there are differences that stem from this relationship between the landlord and the tenant and how much can the landlord do individually and by themselves without involving the tenants um, and uh, how competitive the sector is um, and in which market. Obviously, that, that's region-specific and market-specific as well. Um, what we see now is that uh, it is indeed a little bit easier to um, go into office assets and retail assets uh, than industrial and uh, residential for example mm -hmm. and it seems just like a the, there's been a cultural shift to understanding the importance of esg and hopefully that makes this conversation a little easier between tenants and landlords where you know sustainability is kind of is a hot topic you know inside business inside our personal lives as well Absolutely, absolutely. And um, um, this is an evolving topic. Um, we we also see that uh, there's a generational shift. And, uh, the interest coming from the younger generations uh, does have an, an influence and an impact over um, how, how spaces are operated and uh, the impact they have on not only on the occupiers and uh, the tenants themselves, but also on the immediate communities, the, uh, the, the impact on... Uh, uh, on neighborhoods, the impact on uh, um, 
the water supply and the air uh, and the quality uh, of the air and the, the pollution in, in certain areas. Um, so there are multiple forces that all drive towards uh, this paradigm shift and a different way of doing business altogether. So yeah, I'm sure there's certainly still obstacles, but hopefully that people are a little more receptive to ESG as, as a whole. And, and creating uh, an effective rating system has been essential in allowing ESG to grow. Um, how did Gresby go about creating one and, and, and what's kind of the method, methodology behind it? Um, well, if we go into the methodology, I think we'll have a very long conversation. But <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, um, it, it all started with uh, the need. I think a lot of, a lot of ideas and a lot of uh, solutions start stem from a very specific need. And uh, GRES was created out of uh, the need to um, compare and analyze the non-financial, so the ESG performance of uh, real estate portfolios. And effectively, what we did with the help and uh, the very close input from the institutional investor community is uh, we took this very complicated wide topic and started to break it down into little boxes that could be compared and quantified and benchmarked and analyzed. Um, ESG is such a wide spectrum of metrics and wide spectrum of topics. And over the last 10 years, since CRESP has been on the market, uh, we've observed um, a lot of initiatives and uh, a lot of forces uh, working in the direction of trying to standardize what ESG means, how ESG is uh, measured, how ESG is calculated, how ESG is benchmarked, and uh, ultimately used into decision uh, uh, decision making by institutional investors, by fund managers, by listed companies, by tenants, by property managers, and effectively all stakeholders in this supply chain. Um, and so we, uh, we, we, we started by defining the problem and defining um, um, what constitutes the most material ESG uh, uh, metrics uh, from the perspective of an, of an institutional investors. And so if we, if we try to break down the spectrum of environmental issues, of course, the environmental impacts of a building or a, a portfolio of buildings comes from um, its energy consumption, its carbon emissions, uh, water consumption, waste, gen uh, waste generation, um, uh, it's, it's a function of its uh, exposure to risk, be that physical risks and uh, transition risks. Um, it includes elements of um, um, efficiency measures and uh, the impact of those efficiency measures over the overall uh, environmental footprint. Um, then if you move towards the social aspects, um, what are the social impacts implications or the, the material social elements in a, in a building or real estate portfolios? Well, it's first of all, um, the impact of that um, of, of that building and ultimately of, of a portfolio of buildings over um, uh, society, the, either the immediate community or the region, the country. Um, it's uh, the impact uh, or the interaction with the tenants as well as with the supply chain. And uh, because we are looking at real estate uh, organizations, real estate um, portfolios and real estate entities, so funds and uh, uh, listed companies, um, it is also um, um, about how, uh, the management aspect of, um, uh, of that entity, of that funder company. So how is this uh, organization dealing with its employees as well? 
And then ultimately, um, what we understand by G is the governance of sustainability. It's basically that whole story of um, how how is um, uh, how, how are your efforts on environmental and social performance being structured into a strategy that makes sense and can offer, can guarantee uh, uh, systematic improvements um, uh, on a wider scale? So how do you structure those uh, um, actions um, and uh, what we sometimes call random acts of sustainability into a plan um, that, uh, that makes sense and can be replicated? Yeah, um, it certainly sounds like the methodology is is quite complex just from kind of listing the, the different variables. Understanding there's so many things going into, you know, uh, a rating system, how difficult is, to, is it to build your system to, to being able to, to match new advances and kind of new methodologies uh, among, among properties? It's a continuous effort. Um, it's, um, I, I don't think we'll ever reach a point where we'll say this is uh, the framework, these are the 10, 20 or 200 uh, metrics that we should look at and that's it. It's a living, breathing mechanism and uh, we work a lot with um, other uh, initiatives in the market and you've probably heard of uh, CDP or PRI or GRI or SASB. Um, so so a lot of initiatives that tackle the same issue, but from different angles. And uh, um, there is overlap. There are there are synergies. And uh, as much as possible, we try to work together to create a common set of uh, metrics and not have divergent views on uh, the same issues. Um, that requires a constant review and um, um, uh, being in very close contact and having a close uh, relationship with um, the institutional investors, with the fund managers, with the, com- um, the listed sectors, so listed companies, with the property managers, with companies that uh, specialize in uh, data collection and um, um, property managers and uh, basically everyone, everyone that's involved somehow in either management or uh, operations of uh, buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and are, are there any one or two or three recent advances in ESG for commercial real estate properties that that you're particularly excited about? <laughs> I think um, everyone is talking about uh, data, and uh, everyone is talking about um, the, uh, the potential of uh, of data. So I'm I'm no particular exception. I think for um, Again, for, for the real estate industry, which is a rather opaque and slowly developing asset class from any perspective, I think the, uh, the fact that um, there is now more than ever access and the possibility of accessing information from the building level, putting it in the context of, uh, of portfolios and other um, um, local benchmarks and local re- legislations and uh, um, local targets and potential targets of performance. Um, I think this is, uh, this is the beginning uh, of, um, of a new way of looking at how our buildings operate and what they can do for us as opposed to what we can do for them. Um, it's, um, it, I think we are, we are really starting uh, not just 
now, but over the last uh, last years, um, we're starting to understand how uh, the buildings uh, react to what they need and optimize them in a way that they can really support and work for us, uh, for us, the, the, the occupiers, um, and not um, in, in a completely unoptimized way. And there will be a lot of, um, there is a lot of unlocked potential coming from the data that uh, we're starting to collect and uh, structure in a way that uh, will help us understand better. Yeah, it sounds like, um, you know, the more data you have, the less you're relying on kind of anecdotal evidence or just kind of, you know, past ways of doing business. Um, can you think of maybe one example or, or one hypothetical where where data could be used to uh, to improve ESG efforts? Well, absolutely. The, the data tells us whether or not uh, a building or a space is efficient or uh, operating at the right parameters or not. Um, uh, there was, um, I know a lot of specific anecdotal, uh, uh, situations, but there was, um, this, um, this one case, I was talking to someone, um, a property manager, and they were saying that they started, uh, they, they, uh, started tracking the building management system and the sensors uh, in, in the building, just to notice that, uh, during the night, the cleaning crew was just blocking the uh, elevator doors on all floors just to make sure they mm. would keep the elevator in place and uh, they wouldn't have yeah, to yeah. wait for it every time um, um, somebody would come up or down. And so for a few hours uh, during the night, the elevator doors would uh, constantly try to close and open, close and open. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, in fact, if you think, uh, well, what what will that do? It's nothing uh, if that happens uh, one evening or uh, two evenings or one week. But when that happens systematically every single day, um, the entire year and then the next year, um, it, it leads, uh, it, it adds up. And I can't remember right now the um, the impact in terms of dollar amount, uh, but it was definitely something not negligible, and also something that can absolutely be avoided. It's uh, it's wasted money. It's nothing. Um, but um, yeah, that's uh, there's just an example of how uh, the the um, behavior and the data, the, the, the graphs that show the, uh, the data consumption. Uh, the, uh, the data of the building uh, can uh, demonstrate how the building is uh, is operated. Um, other very specific examples can uh, can lead to detection of leaks, of um, um, particularly in uh, uh, water leaks. And um, actually, in those cases, you can avoid even higher costs that have to do with uh, bigger refurbs that and, and potential floods within the building. Yeah, yeah, I can see that being a, a pretty substantial uh, cost to be avoided. Um, now moving along, now that we're living in exciting times as always, um, but especially with, with the COVID-19 virus, um, with the pandemic being a global situation, um, both in a public health crisis and something that's leading to, to economic instability. I know it's early in the game, but do you see this the pandemic uh, accelerating or, or hindering um, adoption of ESG in the next six months, year, two years? As you say, as the situation is unfolding, um, it is um, a bit too early to talk about the big lessons learned. Um, but um, 
ESG came uh, very strong in 2020. Um, we, we've been observing, as I as I said, um, a very important paradigm shift and um, um, a very intentional way of uh, um, of adopting ESG considerations into the standard way of doing business. Um, I think as things uh, calm down a little bit and everybody will have time to digest and go back to their um, uh, the, uh, normal way of uh, of, of doing uh, of, of operating and their uh, day to day lives, um, we'll observe. Um, the need uh, for um, and we'll see that uh, this pandemic w- uh, has only accelerated uh, the relevance of uh, structured non-financial data. Um, I believe especially aspects of uh, indoor health and well-being, um, uh, indoor air quality um, w- will become more re- relevant, particularly in the office and residential assets. Um, and businesses as well as governments will start measuring the environmental and social impacts of, um, of buildings and uh, of, of all real assets in a much more intentional way. And thus far with the situation where it is now, do you think um, the pandemic and, and the resulting fallout from it, has that put a spotlight on any particular area of ESG that, that maybe needs more attention from, uh, you know, from, from, institutional investors and property managers? I think one of the very immediate impacts or one of the very direct consequences we see uh, from not uh, from not being able to access uh, the assets and access uh, being in the office and talking to, um, uh, to, to the people on the ground, um, I think th- this confirms and... Um, um, does put a spotlight on the need to stay uh, more connected. And I don't mean that from a social perspective, although, of course, that's very important. Um, I mean that more from a, um, a risk of business co- uh, continuity. Um, this is, um, again, reinforcing the fact that uh, we do need systems that um, uh, can ensure a seamless data transfer between uh, properties um, and uh, uh, the fund manager, between the fund manager and investors, um, between different business units um, and uh, uh, different stakeholders in, in the same process. Um, so I think one of the one of the things we'll will realize or one of the things we'll see is that there are many companies out there that are already set up to uh, to operate in a very seamless way. And uh, I think we'll discover some some potential inefficiencies in the way that um, uh, other data collection processes uh, are set up right now. Um, and this is an opportunity for improvement. And um, this situation has uncovered certain uh, vulnerabilities in the way that uh, some processes are set up. Well, yeah, I think that that's a great place to, to kind of wrap up the conversation is saying that um, you know, we are in a, in a time of, of instability and certainly there, there's turmoil ahead of us. But um, but if these practices are in place to kind of see what can be improved, um, you know, then maybe down the road, things are better than, than they once were. So, Roxana, I appreciate your time. I thank you for, for joining the podcast today. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. 
Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate.